It's enough to make a grown man cry. But not this man. Get back in there, Tia. Bill Cosby is America's dad, and I'll tell you one thing, he wouldn't be caught dead in that pussy gear. Being masculine is the reason why we don't speak German. <laughs> you need male people is because there's male people other places that will take away your shit and kill your people and, and exactly. rape. Exactly. This is not a bad thing. Male does not equal evil. The destruction of men in the West is the great story of the last 40 years. Basically, the patriarchy was so clever that they somehow convinced women that sexual liberation was actually the most wonderful thing for women. But as it turns out, it actually backfired and it, it ended up destroying men because men do need marriage. Men need roles. Men need. Hello and welcome to Beyond the Ivory Tower, the podcast in which we break down complex and esoteric issues and concepts so that anyone can understand and argue their point. We will discuss philosophy, classical history, modern history, literature, current events, and a shit ton of more stuff that I haven't really thought of yet. I'm Finn Davis, an undergrad student at Middlebury at Little Ivy in Vermont, and I'm your host. Today we'll be talking about modern masculinity through the lens of gender theory. As a practice, this podcast puts all of its sources in the description of the episode so you can do your own research if you find it interesting. But today we'll be using Michael Kimmel's Guylands, which I'm not personally a fan of, but has some interesting ideas that are useful for the analysis. John Alberti's I Love You Man, Bromances, The Construction of Masculinity and the Continuing Evolution of the Romantic Comedy, Joan Broomberg's The Body Project, Rana Glesh's Race, Sex, and Nerds, Abby Ferber's The Construction of Black Masculinity, Richard Giulianetti's gender identities and sexuality in sport, and, oddly enough, Austin Osmond Spare, an occultist from the early 20th century. I'd like to do an episode on ethical duty within journalism, however, for now I'll just say that I believe it is every content creator's duty to make their biases ob obvious to the audience and not allow their biases paint the reality that they present. I identify as a feminist and fall on the social and economic left, and the following is an opinion piece on modern masculinity using the rhetorical skills I've learned in my gender studies class I've just wrapped up. So with that, let's get started. We see masculine culture everywhere. In movies, music, the subway, and the gym, it's inescapable. Between manspreading and mansplaining, any sane person would find themselves extremely frustrated with its extremism. Yet we have to ask, what is masculinity? While it's difficult to find an answer to this, Occam's razor dictates that the simplest explanation is the best answer. Thus, we turn to Judith Butler's gender trouble when we say simply, a performance. Masculinity is a performance. There seems to be a developing split in modern masculinity. Similar to the 1980s nerd culture versus athlete culture, we have an incel Reddit masculinity in which a man plays Call of Duty, spends a lot of time on Discord, and takes pride in being the outsider, exemplifying other outsider men, in not having sexual relations with women, taking pride in being scared of women, and having a non-bulking physique. In contrast, there exists the more traditional form of masculinity, in which one would take pride in having sex with as many women as possible, bulking and working out, and not being like the other, also liking to shit on the other type of man. Obviously, there's intersection between the two tropes of masculinity. One of my buddies from high school posts constant memes about the Unabomber, famously an outsider. He plays a lot of Call of Duty and definitely used to be an incel, although I'm not sure if he'd fit in that culture as much anymore. But he's also a gym rat, extremely buff, and currently training in boot camp for the Marines. 
The harm for masculinity exists in both cultures. Within incel masculinity, a man will further and further seclude himself, spending most of his time online, cutting off friends that disagree with his views, and treat women in his life poorly. He will surround himself with similar opinions in an online echo chamber that angers him with every post he reads. Subreddits such as r slash men's rights show examples of these posts that an incel might spend his time reading. Title. Sign in a shared bathroom in Cleveland. Men, please put the toilet seat down when you are done. Thanks in advance, the women. Ladies, you are strong, independent women who need no man to put the toilet seat down for you. You got this. In support of gender equality, the men. The comments reading, I always put the toilet seat and the lid down. That way they have to lift it. My way of spiting women. Another post compares a woman placing her purse on the seat next to her to manspreading, to which people commented, she's doing it on purpose. Sitting sideways with her bag there, it's easy. Just go up and ask her to move her bag, then watch as she flips out for no reason. Might throw a cat at you. Others repost Twitter screenshots of women talking down to men or post news articles about false rape allegations. All of these have a common thread. They're sensationalized and cherry-picked. Manspreading is a big issue on subways, one that the MTA had to directly address. If someone has their bag on the seat, just ask them to move it. While there are definitely double standards in our world, some of which affect men, if you spend all of your time looking at and talking about how men have it way worse, you're just going to end up angry and alone. Within bro-masculinity, we see a different type of self-harm, sometimes involving hazing incidents or alcoholism, as Michael Kimmel's Guyland talks about, but we also get self-loathing around their body types. Joan Broomberg's The Body Project talks about how female bodies have constantly had their own body project to worry about. Statistically, women are the ones that wear makeup, get cosmetic surgery, and care more about their appearance compared to men. The Body Project talks about this extensively, and I highly recommend the book. While men don't nearly have as much to do with their bodies, they definitely have their own body project. This being the idea of having to be big and to be sporty. The idea of sports defining one's masculinity comes from the muscular Christianity movement, as said in Richard Giulianetti's Gender Identities and Sexuality in Sport. Quote, Connell argues that sports socializes boys into violent and aggressive behavioral codes, establishes male hierarchies, and constructs female cheerleaders as mainly unattainable objects of desire, end quote. Being big and sporty is a way to deflect any questions of softness or feminization. As someone who is generally male passing, I've heard many friends and friends of friends talk about how terrible it is to be skinny and talk about their excitement around bulking up. To be considered masculine, a man may additionally emulate different types of masculinity through the music they listen to or the celebrities they worship. In both Rana Glush's Race, Sex, and Nerds and Abby Ferber's The Construction of Black Masculinity, they talk about how black men have represented peak masculinity since post-slavery. This idea was created to justify their enslavement as, if they're exclusively sexual and physical people, then it would be, have been considered good that the white man enslaved and tortured them. Additionally, if you've ever read To Kill a Mockingbird, this trope is where the idea of the white innocent woman needing to be protected from the black rapist came from. In modern times, these stereotypes are very much present. We see black masculinity present in porn, music, and movies. In Aglesh and Ferber's papers, they talk about how the modern white man attempts to emulate these roles through listening to rap music as they piggyback off the black male stereotypes to hype up their own role as men. 
An example of this could be the fetishization of Mike Tyson. Despite the fact that he's a convicted rapist, many men continue to idolize him, viewing him as peak masculinity. While listening to this music or watching these kind of films obviously isn't harmful, it still represents the performance that some men put on in order to be considered masculine. To put on a performance for so long must be draining and mentally tolling. Encouraging both forms of masculinity are the toxic masculinity gurus on TikTok and YouTube. Andrew Tate, convicted human trafficker, has clocked in at over 2.67 million views on his most popular video. He's known for spreading the message that women are inferior to men, and that if you want to have sex with a woman, consent isn't needed. Joe Rogan, another podcaster or commentator, spreads conspiracy theories online. Matt Walsh and Ben Shapiro are both conservative talk show hosts that spread hate against women, trans, and queer people. Since the beginning of media and literature, we haven't had an issue with male representation. That is, men and young boys have always had another man or male character to look up to, whereas girls haven't. However, these people teach boys that being a so-called man is monolithic. You can't cry, you can't show weakness, you must be strong and must be in control in your romantic relationship. In this power vacuum of positive online male representation, people like Andrew Tate have filled the void and are indoctrinating young boys to be misogynistic, hate-filled future rapists. A common trope in masculinity from the beginning has been masculine unrest and dissatisfaction. This trope continues to this day. Advertising has us chasing cars and clothes, working jobs we hate so we can buy shit we don't need. middle children of history, man. No purpose or place. We have no great war, no great depression. Our great war is a spiritual war. Our great depression. I'd like to unpack this trope further in another episode, but as an example, throughout 19th century Western literature, we see the cowboy trope, one of a man who's abandoned his role in society and longs for homosocial connections. There are a couple of examples of such literature in Michael Bronsky's A Queer History of the United States, if you wanted to check those out. In John Alberti's I Love You Man, Bromances, The Construction of Masculinity, and the Continuing Evolution of the Romantic Comedy, Alberti details the shift of masculine representation within the romantic comedy. According to Alberti, until recently, the man was to be strong, confident, handsome, and able to get the girl of his dreams. Now we see the change in the man in I Love You Man, an overall amazing film, by the way, with Jason Segal, Paul Rudd, and a killer soundtrack by Rush. And with other movies with Seth Rogen like Knocked Up, we see, as I'll call without judgment, The Loser. Less attractive than his love interest and often an unemployed pothead. The Loser is something that the man lacked, however. Deep male friendships or homosocial connections, meaning the same thing. We've seen male representation change over the years. However, outside of cinema, we see a growing discourse due to the toxic male gurus we mentioned before. So what is the solution to the harmful toxic masculinity subcultures that are causing so much discourse today? On Twitter, at Lisa Atomic posted, so who are some alternatives to Andrew Tate? Like men with compelling levels of confidence and ambition, but where you'd be totally happy to find that your son looked up to them. Please send some YouTube videos slash account links of physically strong, smart slash interesting, wholesome dudes. To which Hank Green, co-creator of Crash Course and author of An Absolutely Remarkable Thing, replied with the following. Masculinity is complex and fraught, and we're bad at understanding it and talking about it. I have two big concerns with masculinity conversations, so I guess I'll say them here on Twitter, where people are always super forgiving and never willingly 
misinterpret things slash us meaning sarcastic one there are things that we think of as masculine that are bad because they call on men to dominate themselves and others minds are not meant to be dominated and that includes your own two there are some good things about masculinity that i feel uncomfortable associating with masculinity because they're positive and it feels quite wrong to assign them to only roughly 50 percent of people stuff like physically assisting others de-escalating situations working hard I've seen a bunch of lists of positive masculine traits that are actually things we'd like men to do more, like being emotionally open and asking for help. Like, those things are good, but they're just things that all people should do. Young men and boys need reasons to feel good about themselves, and there are lots. And maybe it shouldn't just be gender-based, and maybe someday it won't be. Which honestly just hits the nail right on the head. Positive role models ought not to be gendered as they are today, especially with the idea of essentialist feminism that seems to be on the rise. As we said before, representation for women has been and still is much worse than it is for men, and I would never say otherwise. I will also say that while we focus on creating positive role models for young girls, we additionally work towards creating representation that encourages positive attributes for young women and young men. We lack such representation for men, especially queer men. Yes, we have representation for men and have since the beginning of literature, but most of this representation exists only for the stereotypical man. The man that follows the role of masculinity, such as Ash Williams from the Evil Dead franchise, or the man that follows the role of the gender invert, such as most male gay representation in media does. There are obviously people that perform masculine roles without exemplifying toxic masculinity. And I don't think that masculinity or femininity are inherently bad, and there are obviously different solutions to the issues that I've laid out that I'd love to explore in a later episode. I don't claim for this to be the truth, and to be honest, it's not necessarily fully my opinion, but it's a opinion, and I'd also like to just suggest the following as a possible answer to these issues. The answer is not better representation for men. Here lies the problem with identity politics. We ought to be pursuing good representation that happens to be shown through male, female, and gender queer characters. We can take away the gendered stereotypes from the archaic terms of masculine and feminine that we like, throwing away the ones we don't, and apply them to our modern society. The nurturing nature of the feminine and the protective aspects of the masculine can be attributes that everyone embodies, not just men and not just women. Thus we ought to make representation less about boy power or girl power and more about simply being a good person. This work has started to be done in queer media in shows such as Good Omens and Our Flag Means Death. Both shows contain extremely well-developed storylines and characters that happen to be queer. Being non-straight isn't their entire deal, their entire personality, and it's not their entire arc. It's just as consequential as their preferred weapon, dagger, sword, or their music preference, lits, or the Velvet Underground. When you create gay representation rather than representation that happens to be gay, you end up with stereotypes and ugly tropes. Doctor Who is an excellent example of a positive role model done right. The Doctor is an alien that has the ability to regenerate into another body when they're about to die. For the past 60 years on television, the Doctor has been played by a male actor, yet in 2017, Jodie Whittaker began playing the Doctor. I grew up watching Doctor Who, and for me, the Doctor was always a model. His biggest identifier was pacifism and being extremely anti-weapon in almost every case. His extreme empathy for all beings, his natural curiosity, and overall what can best be described as quirkiness. The Doctor's never a male role model for me, never about girl power or boy power, just simply to be kind. In taking away gendered role models, we ought to consider the idea of taking gender away as a whole. That issue is obviously much too broad and contains way too much nuance to get into this episode. 
However, there is an interesting idea at the heart of gender that I'd like to discuss. Now, this deserves its own episode, and I'd really hope to break it down more slowly later down the road. But put simply, the idea of male and female being opposites and the only biological options is relatively new. This is called the two-sex model, and Thomas LaCour wrote a whole book about it called Making Sex, which again, I highly recommend. But the point being, prior to this model, which became popular in the late 18th and late 19th century, existed the one-sex model, in which most believed that men and women were biologically relatively the same. Women were just inverts of men, which obviously has many misogynistic issues, but of course it does. This was science from between ancient Greece and the 1700s. And the vulva was just an inside-out penis. When the two-sex model came around, intersex people were much more at danger. Science about women being biologically weaker than men became more common and didn't rely on humors and heat science, and essentialist feminism really encouraged this change. The point being, we are constantly reminded of the two-sex model everywhere we go. Bathroom signs, Mr. and Mrs. designations, sports teams, baby clothes, simply the idea of the male and female sign, both the bathroom pictograms that show a stick figure and a stick figure in a dress, and the Mars-Venus sigils, being so prevalent constantly ingrains the idea of the two-sex model in our brains like a prayer wheel. Adding to this constant reminder of the so-called dichotomy is the push for positive representation for women and men. With men's rights activists yelling boy power and everyone else yelling girl power, I'd argue that these two sides, while the girl power response being valid, both add to the reminder that women and men are supposedly opposites. Now, the following is extremely odd, esoteric, and a little fucking ridiculous, but it's kind of fun, so just bear with me. Chaos Magic contains a couple of different ideas, but the main one is the idea of using sigils, which is just a fancy word for symbols or symbolic language, to change the world around you and your subconscious. Most of these teachings are built off of Austin Osmond Spare, an occultist and author from the early 20th century. The idea, which again is batshit crazy, is that one can create their own sigil with the intent built into it, draw it everywhere, and then release it, effectively changing the world or their perspective of the world at least. If you're interested in this kind of stuff, Condensed Chaos by Phil Hine talks about it more at length. And if you're not interested enough to read a 200-page book written by a madman, maybe go check out the last podcast on the left series on Chaos Magic. Also, for any other comic fans out there, Neil Gaiman's Sandman uses a lot of the same ideas present in Chaos Magic. Alan Moore, the author of Watchmen and V for Vendetta, is famously an occultist, and Grant Morrison is also a practitioner of Chaos Magic. Now, you don't have to, and you probably shouldn't believe in the literal idea of sigil magic. However, I do think it's likely that the constant repetition of symbols that represents a strict dichotomy between male and female is a form of brainwashing, one that conditions you to believe in the gender binary, and that if we want to disrupt the two-sex system, this may be the first step. That was a lot of information, and I don't expect you to remember all of it, or even any of it. However, if you had to take anything away from this, I'd remember the following. Number one, toxic masculine role models have a place online because of the lack of positive role models for boys, similar to a power vacuum. Number two, we can solve the latter by creating positive masculine role models, but then we get in a sticky situation with defining masculinity without playing into misogynistic stereotypes. So it might be better to just create positive role models that happen to be male or female or genderqueer. Number three, different forms of masculinity are emerging, some of which are extremely dangerous, such as incel or bro masculinities. Number four, finally, to quote Kate Bornstein, don't be mean. If you're not mean, you can do whatever you want to do that makes your life more worth living. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful and beautiful day.